Hey guys, and welcome to Kaisis, a podcast about living our new life in the new covenant age. Our podcast name comes from two Greek words, kaine kitesis, which mean new creation. I'm your co-host Osvaldo Valdez, and let me welcome Pastor Todd Bordeaux. Welcome, everybody, to our podcast. It's Osvaldo and me, and we are uh, both at Cornerstone OPC in Houston, Texas, and this is our Kaisis podcast. Osvaldo, good to talk to you again. How you been? Doing great. Can you imagine this is our 12th episode? I know. I can't believe it. I have to yeah. try to remember, like, what did we do them on? I know. I, I was just looking through the episodes that we've, we've uploaded. I'm like, wow, number 12. Wow. That's that's exciting. And this is season one. We're gonna, we're going to have more than a a seventy sitcom. <laughs> exactly, or like The Walking Dead. What are they? Their tenth, eleventh season? Now, if it's The Walking Dead, it'll it'll never go anywhere. Oh, well, that's that's us then. I know. Hopefully, we're not The Walking Dead. <laughs> well, uh, what we're going to talk about today, we're going to move beyond our how to find a good church series that we started. We may come back to that, but. We're going to talk about love and the new covenant ethic that we've been speaking of, the kingdom of heaven that Christ inaugurated with his first coming, that kingdom that should be seen in the church, is all about loving others. And the problem we find is that in the more conservative branch of the churches, holiness is defined very personally. And so the pursuit of personal holiness is a common thing we hear about. And it tends to be very self-focused. Um, and, and we're not appreciating the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. So, for example, when we look at the Old Testament law, the law of Moses, even though love is mentioned, the emphasis is on personal holiness how to stay clean, how to stay pure, not to be unclean. And that was provisional. Those laws were there about clean and unclean to show them their need for Christ. And as we've talked about, they were a hard-hearted people. They were not ready for the ideal law. They were not ready for the law of heaven, which is the new covenant law. So, for example, the Mosaic law does not deal with hatred. Only with outward acts. You are not to murder, but at the same time, there is no penalty for inward hatred. Of course, the essence of the law would be not to hate, but it was not penalized. And so you could be an Israelite in, in good standing and a leader in the community, and you could hate everyone as long as you were not killing them. Mm. And so the emphasis of the law, the emphasis was both personal and outward. And yet when the Lord describes through the prophets the new covenant, we see the difference. For example, Jeremiah 31. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. This shows us that the law that came down from Sinai 
was not written on their hearts as a people. It was outwardly given to them and then outwardly followed by most. But the new covenant would not be like that. The new covenant, the um, obedience to God and love, Christ-likeness would flow from within going out. And it goes out to others. And so the point is, in biblical ethics, it's not that we simply look at the entire Bible and say, what are the ethics of the Bible? And that's our ethic. No, we need to follow the progression from the old covenant to the new. We are new covenant believers. So the old covenant law was provisional. It was very self-focused. And yet the age of the spirit, the new covenant age, is to be like Christ who gave himself for others. And so while the Old Testament focused on staying clean and pure, personal holiness is not defined the same way in the New Testament. Our holiness comes from within, but it, it's an outward-facing holiness. It's not thinking of ourselves and our standing with God that Christ already satisfied. It thinks of others. And so the, the New Testament ethic is not the same as the Old Testament ethic. And do you see a danger of not recognizing the difference between the law and the old and the law and the new? I do. Not only do we, um, not only do we take the gospel out of its, uh, not only do we take the, the gospel out of its, like, its power and its significance and its uniqueness, but also um, something that we miss out is when we, when we confuse the old and new covenant, then we, what we actually do is that we forfeit the the old covenant, um, what I what I call its eschatological edge, you know, its eschatological angle, its eschatological foundation, because, um, like you you explained, it was it was provisional, meaning that it pointed towards something greater and better. Hence Jeremiah. Jeremiah in in the spirit actually understood that there 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 that the law had a a meaningful and greater fulfillment. It was not an end in and of itself. And when, but when we when we don't understand that, then when Jesus comes, it, then what significance does Jesus have? What makes what makes Jesus's role any different than that of Elijah or um, any other prophet? You know, so I mean, for me, that's the danger. We we lose a significant portion of the story, and, and essentially, we lose we lose the gospel. Yeah, we're going to talk about in a moment how that practically um, reveals itself in in churches. And so Jesus comes, he fulfills the law, he makes us right with God, we're declared clean by his work, and then we're given the Holy Spirit. And so the focus now changes. We're not spending our life trying to be clean before God as if we have to follow some purity laws in order to be accepted. Our purity is not found in ourselves, it's found as a gift of Christ and by the power of the Spirit, making us more like Him. And so that we really cannot work on purity. We cannot work on righteousness in the same way as if it's just a law to follow, because it starts in our hearts. And of course, Jesus shows that. Yes, you can control not murdering someone, but if you have anger with a brother, you are as guilty as a murderer. Yes, you can control, you know, you're not committing adultery. But what about the lust in your hearts? What about the lust in your minds? That's enough to make you guilty. And so Christ came to change our hearts 
Now, we're helpless to change our own hearts. We cannot circumcise our hearts. And so even in the Christian life, we're always going to the Lord every day and asking him to make us more like Christ, to change us from the inside. So we don't look at the Bible the same way that Israel would look at the law and say, if I do these things, I'll be clean. And the, the danger is we take that idea into the new covenant and we just change the laws a little bit. And so we're, we're, our focus is, is self-centered instead of that freedom to be other-centered, that love flows out of us. So let me just give you one example from the scripture. First Peter 1, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. So here he quotes Leviticus, but notice how he goes on in verse 22. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Now that phrase, you've purified yourselves, comes right from the Old Testament. That's what they were always doing by their rituals, purify themselves, their washings, etc. But here we have purified, purified ourselves by obeying the truth. And in the context of 1 Peter 1, that's obeying the gospel. It's believing the gospel is another way of saying that. And so Christ has purified you. You have come to the true fountain by believing the gospel. And as a result, you have a sincere love for each other. Now, because of that, love each other deeply from the heart. You see the difference from the old covenant there? Yeah. And notice the um, emphasis on the heart. Love each other fervently. Um, love each other from the heart. You are now pure through faith in Christ. And so now it's Christ in you that has given you this love. And so become more deeply what Christ has already made you. And that's not the way the law of Moses comes to Israel. But that's the way it comes to us in the new covenant. So Peter defines holiness, first of all, as loving one another deeply with the love of Christ. Now, Peter defines it that way. But if you ask your average conservative Christian in the church, what do you believe about personal holiness? How do they usually respond? Well, they usually respond like an Old Testament Israelite. They give a list of all the things that they do to keep themselves pure or clean, yeah. right? Yeah, they do. I, I've, I've been guilty of that too. And so we go right back to the law and the self-focus of all the things to make us righteous before God. And yet Peter defines holiness first as having a sincere, heartfelt love for one another. So that's theologically very deep. What, any thoughts? Yeah, and building building upon upon that, and kind of touching on on a subject that we that we talked about in, in previous episodes is the the indwelling spirit. And you mentioned this early early on in the introduction about the age of the spirit. I mean, it's so interesting because I mean, the most holy place is obviously uh, the, the temple, and it was inapproachable when God's glory or God's spirit um, descended upon it. And it's interesting because fascinating, even that that same spirit is now indwelling in us. So that our, our holiness and, and our love obviously stems from that reality that God has outpoured his spirit in us, just like he did in the temple of old. 
that's what makes us holiness. And, and, and when we understand that, that central aspect of the story, it's almost comical to think that, uh, just to give an example, not, not going to the movies can, can even come remotely close to that, to biblical holiness, you know? Exactly. Yeah. We'll talk about in a moment how, when we mess that up, how it really affects the church. But of course, the Lord more than once summarized the entire law as love your neighbor as yourself. As you said, the law was provisional and temporary to bring us to Christ. And the fulfillment of that, where it was going, was that Christ in us would enable us to truly do what God has called us to do. And of course, Jesus instructed the Pharisees, you ignore the weightier matters of the law, which all centered on love, justice, and mercy. And then you think of when you come to the New Testament, the difference. We don't have any of those um, thousands of laws about purification and clean and unclean, but we have the one another's. 59 times in the New Testament is the phrase one another, love one another, serve mm -hmm. one another, forgive one another, pray for one another. 59 times. Hmm. The one another's are the very center of Christian ethics in the New Covenant. Yeah. Now, this fits our whole theme, doesn't it? Because in heaven, what will we be doing? Loving one another. We'll be loving God and loving one another. And so the central ethic that we're given is to love one another. Heaven begins when somebody joins the faith, when someone is converted to Christ. The ethics of heaven start. And so if it's not seen in love for one another, then it's not heavenly, no matter how many personal things you do to keep yourself different from the world. And of course, isn't marriage like, well, you'll know this soon, but hmm. well, you can say engagements like this. Uh, marriages work when couples love one another, not when they're given a list of duties, as long as you do these duties and you do them my way and, um, you know, everyone follows the rules. No, it's marriages, forgiving each other, asking for forgiveness trying to serve one another. That's heaven coming to a marriage if both couples are filled, both people are filled with Christ. Yeah. And so the irony in all this, of course, is that if you go back to an old covenant view of holiness, if holiness becomes all about me and what I don't do and what I refrain from doing and that I have a quiet time every day and as you said, I don't watch movies, um, or whatever it is, you do the exact opposite of what the New Testament's telling you, which is not to think about yourself, but to think about one another as more important than yourself. And so holiness is all about how you treat people. And if you're defining or trying to live out a holiness that doesn't treat people well, respectfully, humbly, with love, then it's not holiness. It's not biblical holiness. And so the irony is the more you sometimes um, focus on your own holiness, the less holy you end up being. Well. And it's the same way with the commandments. The more you focus on loving others, the, the less you sin against them. Obviously, if, if you love your wife, you're not going to commit adultery. And so love becomes the answer, Christ's love, to all the other commandments. 
you're not going to steal from someone if you if you care about um, them earning an honest living and not hurting them. If you love them, you won't steal from them. And so an outward-focused love, not focused on myself but others, ends up obeying God. And then the other irony is um, we end up taking passages that are about love and we turn them into passages about personal holiness. I'll give you maybe the most obvious example is Philippians 4.8. Philippians 4.8, whatever is true, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, etc. Think upon these things and the God of peace will be with you. Now, in context, that verse is about people and how we treat people. Paul did not change the subject to talk about entertainment. <laughs> now, when you hear that in modern conservative circles, Philippians 4.8, what is almost always the context that it's um, quoted? I've always heard it regarding movies. That's it. Movies, music. Yeah. You, can, you can only listen to uh, Christian music or classical music, you know, and, and you can only see G-rated movies or PG if it's Lord of the Rings or Princess Bride. <laughs> you know, we have our list. Oh, yeah. um, Paul wasn't talking about entertainment. They didn't have movies back then. They didn't have television. Um, he was dealing with two women in the church who were not getting along. Yeah. And then he talks about having forbearance for one another. And then in context, as you think about one another, try to focus on that which is pure and good and noble that you see in one another. We can all focus on one another's weaknesses. But Paul says, if you want peace in the church, try first to focus on that which is noble and good in others. And so what we've done, we've wrenched that right out of context, and we've turned it into a verse about my own personal holiness that makes me more pure before God if I do these things. And we do that with a lot of verses, but isn't that just the best example? Probably. Yeah, that's that's a, that's that's probably my top three. Can you think of another? Yeah, let me give you another one. First uh, Corinthians chapter six, verse nineteen. Um, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? That I've heard it used in regards to dieting, you know, or uh, tattoos, piercings when it comes to men, um, and uh, type of clothing that you wear. Um, and it, and it's funny because like if we if we read the context, it's Paul is is, is making this Christocentric argument against sexual immorality. He doesn't point, he doesn't get, he doesn't threaten them against sexual immorality. It's so interesting. He compels them. It is the love of Christ, His example, His person, His indwelling in us through His Spirit that should lead us otherwise. But we've somehow transformed something so Christocentric to be about, like I said, tattoos. Uh, piercings and clothing is just—it's sad at the end of the day, and that's just one example. Another example. That's such a great example. I forgot about that one. Yeah, I've even heard that against going to McDonald's. <laughs> well, well, I guess I—I I guess I sinned the other day. <laughs> you did not treat your temple, your body, as a temple. Oof, nor that I did uh, this lunch either. I had a <laughs> double cheeseburger. Ooh, that sounds good. Uh, delicious. Any other examples before we go on? No, that, that, can't think of any other right now. Okay. So the danger of not defining the essence of New Testament ethics by 
Testament ethics by love for one another is we get caught up then in comparing ourselves to each other. Who's having the most quiet times, the most consistently? Who's seeing the right movies? And what that does is build up pride, the very opposite of the ethic of love. And so when a church focuses on all the laws that you should be doing to make you pure, um, it ends up being a very prideful place. The church is not loving. We don't know how to welcome visitors naturally. Or we're in this competitive way of thinking. We're always comparing ourselves to other Christians. We're not accepting of Christians with different convictions. We're suspicious of them because we have our list. And so those places, unless you toe the line and do everything they want you to do as far as how to raise your family, how to have a marriage, you know, children, um, entertainment, there can't be any differences because that's how they've defined holiness. And they lose the very essence of what true holiness is, which is love, forbearance, um, you know, respect for one another, even with different convictions. And so churches become the, best, the exact opposite of what they say they are. And then we begin to lose our assurance. I find a great irony here because one of the criticisms of Roman Catholicism is that their, their view of salvation doesn't offer any assurance. But the irony of that is I find many Roman Catholics, especially the ones I know that actually understand the gospel, I find them much more relaxed and human and fun to be around, and many conservative Protestants caught up in the holiness movement. Wow. In other words, the RCs seem to have more assurance. <laughs> now, they may place their assurance too much in the church, more directly than in Christ, so there's a danger there, but it's, they're, more, they're more relaxed, they're more fun, they're more accepting. I mean, come on, who would you rather go out to the bar and have a beer with? Martin Luther or someone like John Piper? Yeah, Martin Luther. <laughs> you know, Luther would tell jokes. He'd probably say an off-color word and probably would pass gas. You, you know what Luther talked about. He'd be human. He wasn't focusing all. He had to do everything just right to be accepted by God and pure. And, yeah. You know, that type of heightened personal holiness. In other words, there's more relaxing love where there's assurance of salvation, but where you're always comparing and trying to be pure before God by your own works and by your own holiness code. Then you're not loving one, one another. You're not relaxed enough to simply enjoy people and listen to them. And then yeah. people can't be themselves at church. The reality is we sin every day. We have to and just be real and admit you know, we all struggle with sin every day. We're all falling short, and we're all different. No, without a doubt. And so, church can be a, a wonderful place, and that doesn't mean you don't confront, you know, somebody in purposeful sin. But for the most part, we don't define that by our own list of rules. But and so, and then the final danger of this that I'm going to mention is we allow narcissists and jerks to have positions of influence in the church because we've defined holiness more by personal piety convictions and practices than love. And so someone comes along and 
They have great personal discipline. Uh, they're well put together. They never miss a quiet time. They never miss a family devotion. Um, you know, but they're jerks. They don't love people. They don't know how to listen. They just know how to talk. And so, and they they push everyone away from the Lord with their legalism and. And so we put them in positions of influence because we've defined piety in this very personal, me-disciplined way instead of, does that person have the love of Christ? Does that person love others the way Christ loved? That's the people we want in positions of influence in the church. But we have to define holiness the way the New Testament defines it. Can you think of other dangers of getting this wrong in the church? Just just hearing all you listing these dangers just makes me makes me kind of like, reminds me of a lot of the experiences that um, a lot of young people or people who grew up in the church have in the sense that um, everything you just described for a lot of people that's Christianity. And let me tell you that sounds exhausting. Like that 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 does not sound like like a light burden like Jesus said. Uh, that that sounds very exhausting. Trying to, trying to live up to um, eat, uh, any other person's expectations, you know, getting caught up in the comparing game. Um, can't even be yourself. You doubt your assurance because, you know, um, you're not as holy as, as the other guy, not enough uh, prayer times, devotionals, or what, what, whatever other thing you can describe. And, and at the end of the day, you, you can just seriously be burned out. And that's the experience of a lot of people. They think this, if this is Christianity, I, this, this is exhausting. I don't want anything to do with this. And uh, in my experience, I, I've seen them just just leave and never come back because they genuinely think if this is the gospel. This is exhausting. I don't want it. And it's just really sad. Yeah, the, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Is it kind of disappears, doesn't it? Completely. My my yoke is what hard and difficult, and my burden is the heaviest of them all. Right. And and this is not to say, of course, if someone may be thinking it, listening that. An undisciplined man who, you know, drinks too much, but he really loves people, should be put in leadership because, you know, one of the ways you do love is to discipline yourself and, um, you know, you do what's best for others. So, yeah, I mean, First Timothy does give personal holiness requirements as far as not being a man addicted to much wine and, you know, not prone to anger. But if we're outward focused, we wouldn't do that. We wouldn't ruin our witness. We're caring about others. We're not doing it to be accepted by God. We're already accepted in Christ. Mm -hmm. Now we do it because filled with the Spirit, we want to be a good example to others and a good witness. It's still outward centered. It's not boastful. No. It's what God is doing in me so I can be able to serve others. So that's the kind of people you want in positions of influence, men or women. Yeah, exactly. And so churches can have good theology on paper, but not known for their love, their welcoming of people, accepting people with weaknesses who are struggling, the struggling parent, the struggling single person, the struggling one with, without children, the, um, the teenager who not sure what he or she believes. You know, the church has to be a place where we do love the weak. We love one another because we're not full of our own holiness. We're, we know our own weakness. 
And what we're excited about is Christ, that he is our holiness. And so we can relax and, and trust the Lord to work. We're not going to meet every expectation. And, and that's what makes the church a, a loving place. But you have to define holiness the way the New Testament does. And, and I think that's one of the problems why it's so hard to make friends in church nowadays. It's hard to find friends when you can just relax and be yourself. Yeah. Because if everyone's defining holiness by, you know, these thousand things, everyone's afraid to be themselves. And if you're not, if you're not yourself, if you're always on edge, then you really can't have good friendships. Oh, yeah. Let me tell you, you just reminded me of something. I, I was in a, not to say names or anything, but I was in a situation where I felt even uncomfortable to not eat. I, I don't usually pray for my food, um, but it's... I was about to not pray until I realized that this person, I could ruin our evening or I'm sorry, I could ruin our lunch if I don't pray uh, for my food. So I had to pray quickly just so that, you know, uh, not to ruin the kind of the lunch. But it's just funny, you know, because something, something so small, something that shouldn't be a big deal for others. It's, it's, it's a matter, like you said, of ultimate holiness. Um, you can't even be yourself in that sense. And it's so funny how many Protestants have considered now uh, praying at a restaurant sort of a sacrament. I mean, it's not in the Bible that we have to pray. And of course, they only pray with certain foods. You know, you don't pray when you go out and get an ice cream. Mm -hmm. So unless you're, unless you're a super Christian, you know? Right. So there's some book of rules somewhere that someone decided on, this is when you're supposed to pray in public. Exactly. You know, if you, if you order dessert, now you don't have to. If you order fries, no. But if you have a hamburger with those fries, yeah, you better pray. Exactly. And then if you don't, people look at you like you're not very spiritual. My wife mm -hmm. and I don't pray in restaurants. We think it's kind of a silly thing. But um, we do if, like you said, if someone there is going to really struggle with it, all right, all right. Yeah. But I hate praying. And then there's a waiter standing up there looking at us waiting. And they, they, they're busy. Yeah. You know, I think it's yeah. kind of rude. But. The point is, it's just one of these made-up laws that we feel like we must do to truly be holy. Now, I know people could say, I'm just thankful, but if you don't do it, you'd be surprised how many of them think poorly of you. Yeah. But there's so many like that. But any, any final thoughts as we wrap up this idea that the ethic of the new covenant is love for other people, and there's no ethic apart from it. That is the very center. Christ came out of love for us. He died for us because of love. So to be a Christian, to be filled with Christ, would show itself in love for other people. That would be more than anything else what we would be known for. And the, yeah. the more we get away from that to the self-focus, the worse our churches become. Any any final thoughts? You know, like just, just reaffirming everything that, that, that you've been talking about. It's just so interesting to notice that the same tendency that we all have of adopting the law in our gospel, we have that same test, uh, that the same tendency when it comes to adopting the law in regards to our ethics. Uh, we think that people should be holy in in an external sense, like 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 a lot of the law was in in the Old Testament, but also we feel like holiness is is produced by by threats, you know, by by social pressures. By, by church culture rather than um, the genuine, sincere, and powerful work of the Spirit in us. And I think, once again, it's, um, 
we mentioned it in our last uh, podcast. It's a, it's a matter of uh, deconstructing, right, our definitions of holiness, which is, I, th I think, which I think you did great, uh, a great deal. We have to change our definition and kind of recover biblical holiness. Yeah, that's a great point. We do need more deconstructing, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. All right, that's a short one tonight, but I think we covered it well. We're going to sort of expand on this next week to certain areas of New Covenant ethics, but that's a a start. Any final thoughts, or should we close? And just just a quick just a quick announcement that we we want to remind our listeners that we have a Facebook page uh, page called Kaisis, uh, K A I S I S. Uh, please give us a like. If you have any questions or comments, please um, give us a comment, give us a question, and we'll try to answer you. And that's it. Thank you for listening. We do appreciate all those who are, by word of mouth, sending the podcast to others. Um, keep that up if it's helpful, and that helps more people uh, get this information. So thanks to all our listeners, and see you next week. Dumb.